how would you feel about nudity as a way to address the problems of carbon emissions of clothing? From coast to coast to melting coast, you're listening to Terra Misinforma. Welcome back to Terra Misinforma. I'm Dylan Gorzitza. And I'm Carter Hall. And we're going to be your hosts for the next four hours and 20 minutes of environmental news from across Canada and around the world. Psychedelic man. This week on Terra Misinforma, we'll be talking about alternatives to the climate action plans of the Canadian and Albertan governments as these plans are not currently capable of absolutely reducing provincial or national emissions. So, we will be asking experts their perspectives on alternative policies that will actually be effective for Alberta and Canada to do their part in staving off global climate apocalypse. We will also be investigating a story about the NEB, who has recently released a statement that they will be taking away the environmentalist cards of Canadians. And after that, we'll turn to two archive pieces about climate amnesia and a new policy idea for the island of Iceland. But first, here are some environmental headlines. The Canadian government has decided that they will be unable to meet their climate change emissions targets by 2030, so they have proposed to replace all their carbon fuel-based shipping transportation with Canada 150-labeled giant rubber ducks. Notorious environmental activist and Canadian journalist Naomi Flynn has been put in prison because she was caught sneaking into the houses of right-wing evangelical Christians and replacing Bibles with a copy of the Leap Manifesto, her notorious environmentalist doctrine. Naomi is also suspect for a series of crimes involving the smashing of incandescent bulbs nationwide. The other day, RCMP officers in Manitoba rescued a skunk with a Tim Hortons cup stuck on its head. A new scientific study funded and produced by ExxonMobil engineers found that basing decisions on emotions is not rational. Irrational caring has polluted our societies with the belief that climate change is a problem because it will harm the poor and disadvantaged who are not causing the issue. Well, the wealthy who have caused the problem will be sheltered. The Exxon-funded report admits that this fact is true, but argues that the idea that it is morally wrong has been socially constructed by lovey-dovey hippy-dippies. It turns out that it is not economically rational to love. The Canadian government has made a major misstep in their carbon action plan. When making carbon calculations, they did not factor in the recent legalization of marijuana. The increases in smoke will result in a not-so-radical or groovy spike in carbon emissions and methane. These emissions are the result of smoking and exhaling the substance, and increased baking of goods made with animal byproducts. Whoa, man. Yeah. That's all for headlines. Now on to our first story. Based on new policy findings, the NEB, or National Energy Buckos, have revoked Canadians' environmentalist cards. Because it turns out that everyone uses oil in their everyday life. Today, we are going to be speaking with a representative of the NEB, an environmental educator from here in Alberta, and a local farmer. So, Miss Flapperstein. Hello. You're one of the National Energy Buckos. 
And I have just learned that I had my environmentalist card revoked. That's true. Um, I've also had my environmentalist card revoked as well. You as well? Yep. So, Miss Flannery, wh- why? Why did you decide that it was going to be necessary to revoke everybody's environmentalist card? So, um, we've been going around revoking everybody's environmentalist cards because um, it was brought to our attention by internet uh, comment section trolls and bros that literally no one can actually be an environmentalist because we are all using products that are derived in some way or using oil and gas. But wait, that hurts my heart. It should. And that's why we're that's why we're doing this because if we revoke your environmentalist card, then you won't even have to worry about it. So what is it about the environmentalist card? Like this is really concerning to me. What is it about the environmentalist card that is going to impact me? and everybody else in Canada when I no longer, and they no longer have it. It makes you worry about the effects of your actions upon the earth and other people and animals. Yeah, so that's exactly what the environmentalist card does. And so then without the environmentalist card, you don't have, um, you don't even, it doesn't even cross your mind what the impact of your actions is. So that's really great for um, people across Canada, really, it'll really help our economy. So, you know, it actually sounds kind of nice not to worry. I'm really curious what an environmental educator would say about this, thinking about teaching and, and students and worry and all the rest. So turning it over to Mr. Roberto over here, as an environmental educator, how do you feel having your environmental card revoked? I'm going to start teaching all about pollution now. And and why why would you do that? Well, because that's the way we should do things moving forward um, now that we've decided to move past a society that values things such as environmentalism. So my class is going to be all about actively polluting the environment now instead. Do you sometimes worry about scaring your kids by teaching them about the environment? I think that I always worry about scaring them when I talk about the environment. It's not a worry that they need to know. It's just better to um, make sure that they come out of my class feeling safe because that's what schools are all about now. Right? Yeah. Okay. So this has been really depressing for me. I'm really hoping that somebody who's connected to the land and the earth and the soil will we'll care about having his environmentalist card revoked. So, Mr. Gall, as a farmer here in Alberta, how do you feel about all this? Well, honestly, now that it's got taken away from me, I can't believe I ever had that thing. I used to plant lots of hemp seeds on my land and try my best to sequester carbon and use rotational crop circles and stuff. But now that I'm not used to having my environmentalist card, I say, heck with it all. I'm only planting... GMO cotton seeds, and I don't plan on feeding anybody, and it feels pretty great. I, yeah, I haven't even thought about pests once. I just spray pesticides on everything. I spray it on the crops, spray it on the fences, on my children, on my wife. 
nothing will have pests anymore. And I've honestly never felt better or itchier. So maybe my environmentalist card is still, like, stuck in my shoe or something, but I'm just thinking, whatever happened to give a hoot, don't pollute. I, I just don't even know what you're talking about anymore. I'm just thinking, like, I thought you were a farmer who knew the land. I thought you were somebody who felt connected to nature. And nature is just like, if you hurt the nature, you're going to hurt the humans, too, because we are the nature. We're not separate, you know? So what do you say to that, huh? Sir, I think you're projecting. <gasps> okay. I'm on the radio. going to get myself under control. This is about the interviewees. This isn't about you, Dylan Gorzitza. And you've had your environmentalist card revoked. You shouldn't have to worry anymore. So, Miss Flannery, bringing it back to you. About the loss of everybody's environmental card, I'm just wondering if there was one thing you could tell people about this new policy, what would it be? Mm-hmm. You know, it would be this. Environmentalism is just mind control. It's got to be eradicated. Um, if we're going to destroy the planet, then we need to stop environmentalism. And so I think what people need to understand is that this policy is just going to be taking away that and that mind control. And it's going to be great for us for a couple more years here. We're going to live our best lives until the planet ends. So just, just one question. Like, why do you want to destroy the planet? Why is that a good thing? Oh, it's not a good thing. It's just the way that things are going to have to go, right? If we want the economy to keep going, that's just how it's going to go. Um, mm. We want a booming economy. This policy is really based on living our best lives, not the planet living its best life. Despite the Canadian and Albertan government's promises about their new climate plans, it turns out that these plans will be completely ineffective for helping the province and country to meet their climate goals. Thus, we need far more severe policy alternatives, according to leading environmentalists. Today, we're here to speak with local Albertans about what they think could be effective policy alternatives to stop the threat of climate apocalypse. Hi, I'm Farmer David, and I think I have the next idea that's going to save the planet. Hi, Farmer David. Welcome to the show. Thank you. So I had some vegans coming on to my property and telling me about methane emissions on my land. And I thought, who are these idiots? I'm a steward. I don't understand. But after listening to them, I've come to understand the problem. And a big problem is methane emissions from our cows, and they're farting. So, so, so wait, you're telling me that cow farts are heating up the planet? Cow farts are heating up the planet, and we need to figure out this problem now. So I've come up with a solution to stop the cows from farting. That would be amazing. How are we going to do that? So, I've taken my family's wine collection. We've saved all our bottles over the years and our corks. And I've grinded up the corks, formed them together, and turned them into biodegradable butt plugs to stick into the cows so that they don't emit any methane emissions. Have you thought about what might happen to the cows if they can't fart? Well, sir, I've tried it out myself, and I don't see any problem with the technology. It was excruciatingly painful, but 
in the end, I knew that I was doing my good deed for Mother Earth. And nothing feels better than loving the land. So do you think we should impose this, like, as a policy for all cattle farmers in Alberta? Um, I don't know if you're proposing that all cattle farmers put cork butt plugs in their butts or their cow's butts. In their cow's butts. Oh, yes, I do think we should put them in all of the cow's butts. So wait, but that's a good question. Like, do humans also emit methane when they fart? Yes, and I think that this is a good idea, but a personal choice and something that everybody has to try out at least once. That was some seriously radical policy alternatives. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks, sir. So now we have a representative here from McDonald's to tell us what they think will be an important step to take to lessen the impact of global warming. Yeah, so I don't know if you heard recently, but um, McDonald's is becoming, like McDonald's, the fast food company, becoming way more conscious about uh, our footprint on this earth. Um, We've recognized that the methane emissions from hamburgers are actually really bad uh, for the environment. Cows are, like, really environmentally damaging. Yeah, we heard about the cow farts earlier. And people have been very receptive to this. And instead of just eating less meat, we're just going to try to offset our emissions and stuff. But, you know, that's not enough. So we have decided that on sometime in June or July, um, it's going to be the day where all McDonald's across the entire world are required to run they're McFlurry machines. I don't know. Hopefully they will all be working. That's the crux of this plan. But other than that, if they're all working, they all run them at the exact same time, and it will cause um, the, the earth to cool for at least 10 minutes because there will be so much ice cream. It'll be flowing out onto the streets. Um, it'll be like a big McFlurry. The whole earth is going to be like a one huge McFlurry Um, And some people have been questioning whether we could actually produce that much milk and stuff to make that much um, ice cream. But at McDonald's, we have a couple tricks up our sleeves. We we know what we're doing when it comes to making a McFlurry, even though the machines are broken most of the time. We do know what we're doing. So... um, so, yeah, it'll really cool the earth significantly by just having ice cream flowing through every street. I guess I'm just wondering, like, with ice cream flowing, what happens when the earth warms up and all the ice cream melts? Um, that is actually for um, governmental bodies and policymakers to deal with. Well, that sounds like a legitimate and effective course of action. Thank you for coming on the show. Now we have our second speaker on the show, who I will allow to introduce themselves. Hello there, Dylan. Hello there. And how are you doing this afternoon? Are you, I'm actually, I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit concerned because it turns out that we've got this new climate plan in Alberta and it seems like a big deal. It seems like it's going to be really helpful, but it's not actually going to help us meet our climate goals. And so I'm wondering, what do you think, Mr. Ravencroft? Oh, Mr. Ravencroft. Yes, yes Ben Ravencroft. Yes. I'm wondering what. Um, what you think would be a really good, a really good way to help us meet our climate goals? We have to make every day Earth Day, Dylan. How and and what would that do? Well, we would be looking on a calendar and changing every day. And you know, when you're in your calendars and you have things like full moon and Christmas on on your calendar, every day is going to be Earth Day. 
We have one day to celebrate Earth Day right now, and if everyone looked at their calendars and realized it was Earth Day, everyone might, they might care more about their, their Earth. And so, if every day was Earth Day, we wouldn't emit so much carbon? Well, on, on Earth Day, I feel like there's a conscious effort from the populace to make those environmental choices. Like, I'm going to leave my, my um, plastic bags at home in favor for better bags. I'm going to decide to walk to school today instead of taking my, taking my big old truck to school. I, I feel like in this way, um, more people would recognize that every day would be Earth Day and um, give a hoot about the environment, so the kids say. Okay. I feel like it needs to be combined with other things, though. Is there anything that you would combine that with? Like, that you would make it, like, a mandatory thing? Like, a binding agreement on the population? Well, the other planets might want to have days included, too. So if we have every day's Earth Day, we might want to include, like, a Venus and a Mars Day, or, or even a Saturn or Jupiter Day combined, just so we're inclusive of our solar system family. I really like the idea of a Pluto day. Pluto's not a planet anymore, Dylan. But I thought we wanted to be inclusive. Not for Pluto. Pluto's not a planet anymore. It, it's been proven. How would you feel about nudity as a way to address the problems of carbon emissions of clothing? Are you asking me that question, Dylan? Yes. How would I think of nudity Yes, like, do you think that's a good idea? Do you think if we were all nude all the time, then we would have less of an impact on the environment? Well, that's just so crazy that might work. I mean, I'd have to be okay with showing other people my my, my bare body, and that's not something I'm quite used to yet. Um, I mean, if we all were just naked with our bare bodies, I mean, who would, who would really care if, if, if some bodies look different than the others? Uh... I think I'm really curious what, um, sorry, sorry, what's your name again? The other guest on the show. Ethel. I'm really curious what Ethel thinks about this. What do you think, Ethel? Do you think that, um, like a daily Earth Day or, or like mandatory nudity would help us address the problems of climate change? Yeah, so I think that, um, making every day Earth Day is literally, that's literally all we need. Like, you just need to be aware. You don't even, like, sometimes on Earth Day, you know, you don't really change anything, but you know it's Earth Day. And it's the thought that matters, really. I think that's something that I've learned over my life is just it's the thought that counts. And in terms, in, in response to your question about <clears throat> mandatory um, round-the-clock nudity, you know, I think that in Edmonton, That'll be great, um, especially people like me. I am so pale that I think that my skin will actually reflect the sun's rays, and um, the albedo effect will mean that there's actually less warming since it's being reflected back out into the atmosphere um, off my pale, um, placid-looking skin. So I think it's a great idea. And I'm all for it. Actually, I don't know if you've noticed, but in the time that we've been sitting here in the studio, I've actually taken off all my clothes.
Ecoamnesia, the condition that has been affecting thousands of Americans across North America and doesn't show any signs of stopping. Today we talk to world-renowned neurobiologist Dr. LeFuck to help us get an understanding of what's going on inside the heads of those affected with ecoamnesia. Dr. LeFuck is the head of the Department of Neuron Sciences at the University of Cortex, New Kirklandshire. So, we've been hearing a lot today in the news about people suffering from ecoamnesia. Could you explain to us what ecoamnesia is? Uh, yes, so in the past few years, we've noticed a real increase in self-destructive behaviors in humans in many parts of the world, uh, but particularly in North America. Um, people seem to be forgetting that we need certain things to live and to be happy, you know, clean water, air, healthy food, um, and the symptoms that are resulting are very dangerous. Um, people putting lots of toxic chemicals in their food and water, adding extra poison gases to the air, uh, trying to build oil pipelines through important freshwater sources. Uh, the list is endless, really. Oh, okay. So, uh, what really causes ecoamnesia? Uh, well, we are not totally sure of the cause, but we have found that significant parts of the neocortex, that is usually responsible for rational thought, it's severely undersized in, in sufferers of this um, disease. So. In previous studies of patients addicted to the reality TV series Jersey Shore and those suffering from Instagram-related neurosis, we found very similar effects. Uh, so we hypothesize that the patients have lost touch with what is reality and what is not. Do you have any treatments that you guys are using? Uh, well, we think that the effects are reversible. Um, we've seen a miraculous recovery in some sufferers, such as in uh, the Donald Trump's case. Uh, his case was one of the most severe that we've ever seen. The brain had shrunken to such an extent that he had completely forgotten that America is actually still connected to the rest of the earth. So we were trying to figure out what happened in this case uh, and what we can do to help other patients. Um, until now, in clinical trials, we have not had much success, unfortunately. Uh, we tried showing sufferers uh, scientific journals and having one-on-one -on -one sessions with scientists, um, showing them photos from landfills where their garbage ends up, um, images of oil spills, those kinds of things. Um, but there's still a portion of their brain, it's that part that processes environmental information, that doesn't seem to be showing much signs of activity. Um, so right now, the best treatment that we have is to prevent the disease from taking hold in the first place. Okay, so what would you suggest to our listeners to help prevent the disease from affecting them? Yes, well, this is important for people to know because obviously you don't want your brain to shrink. That's never a good thing for anybody. Um, especially if you're a person in, in a high-ranking place of power, it's bad for everyone that way, right? So we've seen so far that the disease, it, it spreads rampantly in echo chambers that decreases your critical thinking ability. Uh, also, a lack of natural sunlight and fresh air can, can also contribute to diseases of the brain just generally. So uh, luckily, the brain usually responds well to regular use and to outdoor exercise. Uh, so there is some hope. Uh, for most people. That's interesting. What are some of your concerns with the future of ecoamnesia and getting these uh, treatments out to other people? Uh, so my concern, I suppose, uh, the biggest problem really is when the early symptoms are showing up in people in positions of higher power, um, once it spreads, it, it becomes very dangerous because 
these people are no longer able to make good decisions on environmental issues. So uh, because they don't think rationally any longer, their capacity to realize um, environmental importance is just non-existent. And of course, um, that has a big effect on not, not just the sufferer of the disease, um, but on everybody else who is affected by their decision making. Awesome, awesome. So as allies to the uh, combat against ecoamnesia, what would you suggest that I could do to help make sure that this disease doesn't spread to my friends and my family? Uh, well, I would suggest that, um, you know, you make sure that your friends and family are often having intelligent conversations and that they speak to people that don't have exactly the same opinion as them every day. <laughs> uh, spend lots of time outdoors, um, which is always, always good to keep you healthy. And um, uh, those kinds of things can really help to, uh, to combat eco-amnesia and uh, brain wasting. Okay, awesome. Is there any place that we could donate to this cause? Uh, well, there's currently a, an eco-amnesia awareness fund, which is raising money to send uh, to the specialists in Washington, D.C., where eco-amnesia seems to be concentrated right now. We believe that is one of the sources of, uh, of this current outbreak that we're seeing. Um, so you can make a donation to them. Um, they're also they're hosting a, a, a fun run as well, um, which will take place. Um, you must go barefoot and uh, run off the pavement so you remember what grass feels like on your feet. Um, so that is something you could participate in if you would like to. Um, you can go and find more information. Uh, there on their website is, uh, yes, the ice caps are really melting.org. Um, and there you can also make a donation as well to uh, help sufferers in Washington um, recover from this, from this terrible illness. Today, our reporter Chris Chang-Yen Phillips has an idea that he'd like to get off his chest. It's about a certain Scandinavian nation that's become a hot tourist destination for those in search of a union of lava fields and icy slopes. That's right, Hamdi. I just got back from Iceland. It was an incredible place. It's so beautiful. Sweeping fjords, huge mountains that just seem to tumble right into the ocean. It's a, it's a really beautiful place. And of course, you must know that it's really remarkable for the, the kinds of power that they produce too, because it's almost entirely renewable power. Uh, they've turned their CO2 emissions completely around, and now they get almost all their power from uh, hydroelectric and geothermal powers. Uh, but let's not forget where that power comes from, and this is what I want to talk about today. Iceland is a hotbed of geological instability. Uh, you're probably familiar with that volcano, Eyjafjallajökull, in like 2010 that erupted and dis the ash cloud disrupted air traffic. Yeah, you know, I remember getting a Google alert about that. Yeah, so there are two other volcanoes set to erupt any time now that are going to cause similar, if not larger, eruptions, right? And in, in 1783, there was a volcano, Mount Laki, that erupted, and uh, it caused eight months of lava flows when it, when it went off. And not only that, it, it gave off clouds of toxic fluorine gas that poisoned all the vegetation in the country, killed about half of Iceland's livestock, about a fifth of Iceland's population died. Um, there was actually a proposal to just pick up the country and leave for Denmark. And I think that they may have had a point. I, I wouldn't blame them. I think that it's time to address the real crisis on this planet right now. Iceland is too unstable for the, the kind of world that we want to have. Yeah. So my proposal is to sink the island. Um, 
I'm sorry, did you say sink the island? Yeah, yeah, it, it should be sunk below the ocean. It's the only part of the North Atlantic Ridge. It's the only part of that ridge that's above the ocean anyway. I say just put it back underneath the ocean where it belongs. Let the whales deal with the fluoride clouds, right? Just, just a question. Being ice land, wouldn't it float? Interesting proposal, Hamdi. Further work may be needed. Well, that's all the time we have for this week's show. April Fools! That was a misinformed episode. If you didn't figure it out, nothing that we said was true. Except for the bit about the Alberta and Canadian climate leadership plans not actually being effective. That, regrettably, is true. Terra Informa is a production of CJSR 88.5 FM in Edmonton on Treaty 6 territory. If you have any questions or comments, tweet it at Terra Informa. And don't forget to subscribe on iTunes. Thanks this week to all the editing jokes support. From Adam Biddulph, Ben Penner, Amanda Rooney, Sydney Carbonick, Shelley Jo Dwan. And we've been your hosts, Dylan Hall and Carter Rositza. Catch you next week. April Fools! Bye!